Welcome to An Eye for Business. Exploring the entrepreneurial mindset of people who are blind or vision impaired. Brought to you in partnership between Blind Citizens Australia and Vision Australia. Hello, welcome to this episode of An Eye for Business. I'm Vaughan Benison. This is episode 7 of An Eye for Business. An Eye for Business is a podcast series which is very closely linked to the Entrepreneurial Mindset webinar series. That's a part of the Eye to the Future project run by Blind Citizens Australia. And this podcast is brought to you in partnership between Blind Citizens Australia and Vision Australia. We've featured a number of people so far who are running their own businesses in all different areas and we've got several more episodes to go. As I said, this is episode 7 and this week we feature Duncan Meerding. Duncan is a furniture and lighting designer in Hobart, Tasmania. Duncan, thanks for being a part of this program and uh, it's great to hear more about you. Start by telling us a bit about your background. Where did you grow up and what led you to think about starting your own business? Um, I... I yeah, I was born in um, Hobart, Tasmania, um, and I've um, yeah, it wasn't what what I do now is not necessarily what I thought was going to be my my career when I first had my vision loss. Uh, it's not really one of the things that was suggested to me. Um, although somebody did mention to me once that I did say it as a career option, they tried to a health professional um, early on in my career told me not that it wasn't an, shouldn't be an option or something, but. Um, I actually don't remember that conversation, but he he does use that as a positive um, explanation to people when then when explaining to them that you know that that, that they don't necessarily know everything into in, in in that context, but you know that things things are possible. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know where I could say I start started to decide to do my own small business. Um, it was more kind of a, a situational. Um, I enjoyed enjoyed woodwork and that led into design and more creative side of things and then from that i then moved into um uh, designing furniture and and lighting through my university degree while still studying sociology and history um with the aims to do further study uh study in social work eventually which which i've done a little bit of but i did finish finish my bachelor's of arts and i majored in in history being humanities based history um and um and uh, furniture design being a furniture des- uh, fine arts sorry uh, a fine arts um uh, core um major so um and then i yeah got a scholarship straight after university and that sort of led into me starting my own business a scholarship like a grad program at a, a local design cooperative mainstream local uh, design designer maker cooperative so my vision loss happened in my gap year uh between so sort of when started when I was 18 and then by the age of sort of 19, um, within a 12 month period, my vision had uh, degenerated to its full extent. Um, and I, and then it sort of stabilized, um, and the ophthalmologist didn't like using percentages, but he said, you know, if you were to argue, um, like, you know, he used to not argue if you were to explain, you could, you could argue 5%, you could argue 1%. So basically I've got less, less than 5% vision concentrated around the periphery. Um, but during that gap year, I was I was working in in a in a you know in, in a hospital um, as a, as a medical orderly, um, doing a range of things, including patient care, um, moving patients, 
um, or assisting with patient care, moving patients, moving uh, important things around the hospital like bloods and uh, and other things like that. Um, and that was an, an interesting experience. And before uh, before that, I'd worked in in some different uh, more hospitality based work before I turned before before that gap year. But um, and and also working in market stalls and and it's sort of uh, a, a range of sort of eclectic jobs um as, as many teenagers do while, while, whilst studying at the same time but uh in the gap year i worked in the hospital and um as my vision degenerated the, there was discussions about trying to train me up and put me into a different part of of, of the hospital and work, work in maybe perhaps an administration role or look at look at my uh my experiences within within that setting but uh when it came down to uh when when it actually mattered um the hospital dropped me very quickly and, and uh, uh, removed my employment. I talked talk to a local cafe and I started getting a bit of casual work um, washing dishes. Um, and so um, between between that, that um, studying my first year and that um, the, the medical orderly stuff, I, I did that for a bit and then went straight into university and that, that took a lot of my energies over, over a good four years or so. Mm. And um, I, I then basically... Um, started the scholarship at Designed Optic Tasmania, thinking, "Oh, this will be a good gap, another good gap year activity." And you know, I enjoy this, but didn't necessarily see it as becoming a major career move necessarily. Um, but it, it, I just had a, a range of successes that sort of kept on, sort of keeping my momentum going and and um, pushing pushing me in, in that direction and keeping my passion going with with um, designing and making things and I suppose the decision to work for myself has sort of just sort of happened naturally because creative design is is a marginalized sector to begin with let alone drawing in um, a vision impairment or blindness uh, the the concept of me, of me working on tools for example some people have thought I was making a joke when I first told them, including some quite progressively minded people, and really had to explain to them that it wasn't a joke that I'm actually do that, and and it's been a process of you know learning different ways to do it. Um, but yeah, it was definitely it, it would have been an interesting process to go to joinery workshops or furniture workshops and try and say, hey, do you want an in-house designer maker? Um, that would be hard hard anyway, as it was, let alone um, trying to do it in the context trying to do it in the context of a vision vision impairment so mm. um basically i just kept on going with it because of the creative side of things and and decided to keep on um, running my own um, design practice well let's um, talk about that practice a little bit what exactly is your business and and i guess what are your products and and what is a day in your life like uh that question the last one's probably the hardest one to answer so I'll probably yeah obviously i'll talk a little bit about that but running a small business is extremely like each day from one to the other um is, is quite different um in terms of my business it's been running since about uh mid 2010 um it, it um it's primary primary focus it would be lighting um but also uh furniture um is, is also quite uh, a large component of the, of the practice. Um, I uh, yeah have some established sort of product-based designs, uh, and they're sort of more um, they're, there's a range a range of them. Um, but I'm also working on um, and, and have created some larger installation-style pieces. But recently, I just did a hanging a hanging light for. Um, a fairly large space for a client which is about one and a half meters in diameter 
so it was um it was a process working out how that would actually hang uh in 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 the in the context of of the space and it was it was actually an upscale of one of the smaller products which is uh, called a propeller pendant light and it's a um it's a just imagine basically a a flower and a propeller maybe you know the oblique or a gum leaf or what have you like a, 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 a sort of combined into making a, a light shade and so it's eight, eight petal inspired blades that sort of have been also twist in a sort of uh almost look like a three dimension three-dimensional curve um but it's like a um uh and they slot into a into a centralized bracket which is um then holds all the blades in in place in in sort of like a floral slash propeller sort of um uh, formation with a, a, a blackwood nose cone on the top so that that's like a 500 millimeter diameter uh light and suitable for use in people's um, domestic homes or it's cafes what have you but the first thing i designed straight out of university with little tea boxes um and they were what paid paid my rent um in, early on in my career and they're still something that um, is a um, sort of bread, bread, uh, um, bread and butter sort of line. It's it's um, basically a small eighty-five millimeter cube box with a slot cut in it, like a post box, and the t- and the lid actually slides directly out of the post box slot. Um, and so I've designed it because I don't like hinges, and it's all basically hingeless box that um, was made uh, specifically to sort of fit those sort of twinning style tea bags and other things. Um, and then there are other designs like the cracked log lamps and stumps, which are called out logs with cracks cracks in them, and the light comes out of the cracks um, in in randomised patterns. And there's various iterations of that as well. So that there, there's those, and then I've also been um, commissioned to make um, design and make with 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 others within my practice um, that that work with me. We 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 uh, executed some rather large furniture commissions in the last last couple of years. And I think it's worth making the point too, Duncan, that you don't just design these things, you actually physically make them out of wood using the tools. And uh, probably up until the last 15 or 20 years or so, uh, it was quite a common career for people who are blind or vision impaired. It's less so now. And I guess you're bucking the trend. What is it you think that um, makes it such a good career for you or for any other person who's blind or vision impaired? So I think one of the question, questions we're going to talk to a bit more later is the, the challenges faced. Uh, the challenges I face are, are probably, obviously, every day is a challenge in terms of trying to design and make something full stop, but they're quite enjoyable. Um, and design does go hand in hand, like design and making in particular goes hand in hand very well with um, disability or um, blindness or vision impairment uh, because it is a way of thinking that I think a lot of us have to utilise anyway because it's an adaptive way of, of, of thinking. And so in terms of the challenges that I've um, faced, I'd probably say, you know, sometimes those challenges are good because it's a way of learning and things. Um, but you know, sometimes the attitudinal or the um, you come across websites that are inaccessible or, or, or what have you, um, they're, they're probably bigger bar- barriers sometimes than um, working out how to cut a piece of wood. So for me, the working in a three-dimensional way, um, it's really quite quite cool cool because you've got something that you can feel and you can reference off a lot of a lot of things with a lot of the machines. So I, I actually utilise 
my, my workshop utilizes machines that you walk into a joinery workshop pretty much anywhere um, and I, I've got those machines. Mine are probably a bit older than some of the more modern, modern workshops, but um, I've got some bits, bits and pieces that have been put onto them to make them talk. But before that, I was actually utilizing techniques that didn't require the talking equipment um, that, that was installed onto them. I've, I've always utilized the talking tape measure, but I've utilized other techniques like um, kissing the blade, uh, which you, uh, it's a, that, that in and of itself is a bit of an explanation, but um, I'm not kissing the blade with my lips, don't worry, but it's kissing the blade with a piece of, piece of wood and you basically can feel um, that as a, as a reference point. Um, it's basically a tactile ruler to know, you know, you're taking half a millimetre off that sort of thing. But I, I familiarise myself around uh, the table saw by just knowing, um, working out where the blade is in, in regards to where my fingers are going to be and, and learning, working out a whole set, range of processes uh, in, in terms of going, going to use the machine. Uh, before jump, jumping onto it. So I familiarise myself with the cuts, work out everything. This is obviously before the blades start spinning. I've made sure the machine's isolated, made sure this, the, the blade's stationary with an off cut. Um, and I set everything up and then familiarise myself with the cut, um, work it through in my head a few times, make some risk analysis and then um, and, and then basically go, go for it. Um, but yeah, there are, there's a range of process, uh, processes I've gone through to get to that stage. And I think that's, it's, it's very much something that can be made accessible. It's just a matter of thinking of, okay, how do I do it? And, 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 um, and just basically you, you work it through, um, in your own head. But I, I was very, uh, lucky in terms of working with the people with, within the design and maker scene because, because of that sort of mindset we we're talking about before, a lot of them thought, in, in terms of an accessibility way rather than a, a you can't do this or, or a risk, risk mitigation. Let's talk about some of those challenges in a little bit more detail. You talked about some of the equipment that uh, you've put in place to, to ensure that the machines, uh, quote, talk to you, unquote, and let you know measurements and uh, distances and things like that. How have you gone about making that sort of thing happen? Um, so there's a range of things I've got. So to begin with, for a very long time, I used um, a lot of tactile feedback with the machines, um, the, a range of blocks that had been thickness planed to uh, a different th uh, different thicknesses. Um, and you can also get, get them commercially made. Um, they're called set-up blocks. Um, you can get them for, like as a, like, it's not a, blind specific tool, but blind blind people and vision impaired people would um, greatly benefit having them in, in their toolkit. And so they, you can use them as basically tactile thickness gauge rulers. And so you can set the height of your table saw blade, for example, or set your width. And um, then there's other things like the click rule, which is a, a very specific piece of equipment that was developed for blind, um, I think in the US, um, through the blind, blind woodworking community over there. And it's basically a range of 200 millimeter um, long rods and they can all attach to each other through um, a piece of threaded rod at the end of that, like a bolt that get, then goes into an, um, the negative of that. So the, um, the tap thread in the other end and you can basically extend out up to a meter as you move it, it makes a clicking noise or, or you can feel it more than, I can feel it more than I can hear it. Um, and that, then means you it's like a transposition measuring device so you can put it inside a cabinet push it up to the cabinet lock, um, feel it click off 
lock it off and then say you want to go one millimeter less than that you push it in by one click lock it off again to take it to the table saw blade put put it against the table saw blade and the um the, the fence of the table saw blade and then push it through and you can hear it sort of kiss the, the tooth of the blade and then you can lock off your um your your stop your like your fence on the on the table saw um so there's those those sorts of tactile measuring things and those sorts of technical um things like, like jigs it's just something that you use to do a process either rep- repetitively or or accurately or both um and a lot of wood, woodworkers and designer makers utilize them anyway but um when you're not when you can't cut to a line they're extremely important so um that's one of the challenges i face is sometimes people can just cut something to a line and it's boom done so i sometimes have to go through a number of other steps to get to the same process uh, in, in in product um but then the talking side of things we we're talking about before so i've got talking um, tape measure that had that to my toolkit for a long time i've got another thing called talking calipers which you can measure thicknesses up to like a hundredth of a millimeter uh, I usually only really need it up to a tenth. Um, and then those calipers are like, they're basically like big pincers that you can o- open and close against the thickness of something. So I've got a, I've got a special talking box for one, one set of them. And I've also got another set that have a um, talk, they, they, they Bluetooth into my phone and they can t- um, talk to me um, while I'm, I'm doing things, which have been really important for things like um, dimensioning timber. I'm a thickness planner. Um, then I've got the, um, so that, that sort of then leads to the next step that I've got, which is, um, gauges that have actually been fitted directly to the machine. But these, these gauges did not, ex- um, they existed as, um, something within the mainstream, but it, you can't just go down to the shop and go, oh yeah, I'd like a talking thickness planning gauge or I'd like a talking, talking table saw, um, a digital readout. So I had to go for one of the higher end ones because they had a, a data output that then could be converted from the proprietary signal and then that would go into a digital readout so the sighted people would see that but then there's a data out from that that converts it from the proprietary signal to a usb signal then the usb then gets put into either a raspberry pi or more more recently i've been adjusting it and putting it into my phone because it's just a a few less cables because i don't then have to have cords i've got like a bluetooth headset that goes into my into my underneath my earmuffs Putting all of that together has yeah. taken quite a bit of work. Um, were you able to do most of that work yourself, or did you? Uh, were you successful in getting other people to to assist in, in putting that sort of thing together? Um, so, in terms of that work, I was. It was quite interesting when I first had the conversation with um, the OT assigned um, to that case. Um, to, to me, being that case, um, um, the, from the job access. Um, job access fund um and we're having having a conversation about the things i wanted to do and basically i think i might have given them a bit of a headache and and we had a bit of a had a bit of a chat um and we we worked out things and um he said look i I don't you know i i don't basically said look i understand that you know what's going on here and you know what you want um i'm happy to sort of take the lead from you and, and you know and talk talk with you from my professional standpoint and take that on board when, when doing my reporting. I also understood that I needed to talk to a few different people because there's a few things going on. You've got engineering, you've got the actual finding the right right thing, and then you've got to find somebody to do the custom programming for the Raspberry Pi because that's what I used to use. Um, and I basically, I called up a few shops and eventually found 
something um, or called it, didn't just call up and emailed a, a few things. When I say, say that, I was, I was, this is over a number of years. It took, it took a bit of time to find the right thing and also got in contact with the woodworking for the vine community, which is fairly US based. And some of the people there um, had done the Raspberry Pi stuff before. Um, and um, so just to clarify for people that don't know, I keep on saying Raspberry Pi, a Raspberry Pi is not something you eat. Um, it's a, a miniature computer, sort of the size of a, a small novel. Um, the uh, I tend to, you know, sometimes I tend to knock things over or what have you. Um, and that happens in the workshop full stop. But um, yeah, that happens a bit with me. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so I had a, I had the supplier, I had the um, OT, I had a computer programmer and I had uh, a, a, a fellow furniture maker who also had engineering background and all, all four of those people sort of uh, had, had conversations with them all and, and, um, and I was able to sort of engage different people with their different skill sets and, and um, get funding for, for, for the alterations within um, the program called the Job Access Fund. What about some of the other sides of running a business that aren't directly related to the workshop, such as bookkeeping, uh, marketing and networking and things like that? How have you found those as, as a person who is vision impaired? I suppose in terms of the marketing, and we, were taught, we sort of alluded to attitudinal barriers in the past, um, but there was also, I suppose, your own perceptive barriers in terms of not wanting to be seen to talk to your own vision impairment or blindness too much or um, bring it up as a point of difference. And that, I suppose it's an individual thing for different people when they, when they use that um, or have that as part of the narrative within the marketing for a, a small business. And for a long time, I was a bit resistant to it. Um, but I, I was told by somebody um, quite established in the design world who published a, a range of books and was a professor at a couple of different universities in, in Australia and, and in in the Netherlands. And, and he basically said, well, why aren't you, why aren't you talking to it? You know, you've got a point of difference that's really important. It influences your designs. And it's also quite, quite important because it means you're not designing, trying to copy trends, you're actually designing from within. And so I suppose having that said to you, said to me rather early on in my career, really did help me um feel less um i don't think i don't know if it's the right word but less ashamed of, of my vision impairment um because i think we we always wanting to compete on an even footing with the, the sighted world or with the non-disabled world but at the end of the day like um my vision impairment and my blindness do influence my work and sometimes it does it in a, a way that creates challenges, but sometimes it also um, creates, um, uh, it, it, it pushes it creatively. Uh, it, it means that certain things I've designed, I don't know if I would have ever designed if my if I'd, I had full vision. So um, that's sort of one sort of challenge of, of my own perceptive barriers within marketing. But then on top of marketing, there's there's other things like um, it, marketing is quite can be quite visual, and sometimes I've had to get people involved to help me with. Um, uh, laying out photos within within my email announcements or within social media or um, certain social media companies decide to do updates and then you can't actually use the back end of the of, of the platform anymore to pay for ads um, or, or you can't actually adjust things without having to go up to um, to to an assistant to a visual assistant to, to just say hey can you help me change 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 this i need to 
I need to be able to actually um, adjust the time I want to run an ad for them on on um, on uh, on said on said social media. So that's that's another thing. And then there's other ones like on on my bookkeeping. For a long time, I was doing it in a very low tech way with um, sided assistance, basically type doing data entry for me for for the for the um, profit and loss through Excel and, and, and manually typing it out. But now I have um, different bits of software where you can take a photo, it optically character recognizes it, and then you um, can then get it set up so that it reconciles to your bank accounts or your, to your credit cards, and you can automatically get the receipt that you've taken photo of, which you don't need a pair of eyes to do, because it's optically recognized it, and it can then reconcile it to that part of, of your of your books. So that's been really important. Um, but I'm still in the process of trying to find the, the best combination of softwares to do that. Um, but I did get assistance in, in, in setting it up and, and finding the right sort of combination of things. But again, they're not like, it's interesting because the mainstream technology going forwards has made it quite helpful in that situation and because it's been it's it's a good case of universal design in action that obviously works really well for everyone so it um but it's also extremely useful for vision impaired or blind people one of the things that uh, we haven't had a chance in this program to talk about is things like accepting payment for services or products and i guess in your case and that's something you've dealt with quite handily do you want to talk about that okay so yeah i have a in terms of accepting payments, I've got a few options, um, and uh, I suppose that I, I think the the key the key ones are obviously electronic funds transfers that a lot of people utilise and what have you. And I've got an online process where I can send a link. But in terms of uh, a transaction where I was to um, um, have somebody come into the workshop and they're buying something face to face from me. I've got a little little square reader and you can then Bluetooth it to an, a, um, an iDevice or an Android and have the talking software running in your ear um, and you can control it and then turn voiceover off and hand it to the person if they need to put their, their pin in. And there's different versions of that that can be utilised for your phone or for your tablet. And it's, it's just great because that has been a major oversight um, of bigger banks in particular um, and, and just the, general, the sector in general uh, that... Um, it's not just about consuming or buying it should also be about the, the, the having equal access to be able to sell as well and, and a number of those places haven't actually thought about it yeah i guess there's not that many people out there who are blind or vision impaired who are selling product and uh, need to need to take payments uh, but you're absolutely right it's it's something that should be considered you've done a lot more than just making furniture and uh, lighting designs and other things um, you've you've made some pretty big uh, and, and key pieces for uh, international clients and for people over the world and and you have uh, a worldwide recognized profile and a worldwide recognized name. Tell us about some of the activities that as a result of your business, you've been able to get involved in. Yeah, there's a range of different things I've done over the years. Um, and more recently, I've done some guest teaching and, and, and course development and um, consulting, but I'll talk more to that at the, at the end of this, but it, this, this, this little answer, but I've also more, more um, also done a range of things like trade shows and, and ex exhibitions from, in a range of places from um, like Venice, Milan, Frankfurt, um, different parts of the US um, and uh, different parts of Australia. But it's been a real pro process sort of pushing those things. And, and it's been a really interesting process trying to 
operate in such a visual world and explain to people, yeah, I'm vision impaired and I'm I'm in I'm working as a visual artist or a visual designer maker for one a better term. Um and it's a re- it's really quite hard I think for people to get their heads around and to the point where I'm like um people send me screenshots of of uh, of a piece of paper that's we want this and you're right back going that's effectively like me typing something into wingdings taking a, um taking a photo of it sending it back to you and saying i want this it, it's it's inaccessible and i think having the ability to try and explain something to someone patiently has been really important since then i was also been engaged um, by the university college of london and the disordinary architecture project i was i was a guest teaching fellow just in the last couple of last month or so um so i did the latest one in 2022 and the other one in 2019 the course that i was a guest teaching fellow uh, for was called architecture beyond site and it was uh, run as a collaboration between the bartlett architecture school and the disordering architecture project so the bartlett architecture school is uh like in the last um few years has been recognized as one of the best um best leading architecture schools in the world um and then um they basically wanted to try and adjust address the fact that architecture is very white very male and very middle class um and um basically they've done a range of things to try and to try and address this um not just from an access perspective but you know in terms of gender in terms of um race in terms of socioeconomics but um the one the the yeah, bridging course i was engaged to help teach um was uh, its aim was to try and get more vision impaired and blind people in the fields of design and architecture so i was engaged because there was a degree there was a degree of trepidation about vision impaired people in the workshop um and i came up because of conversations i'd had with another vision impaired visual artist in and and um consultant in the um in the uk she she'd done a project where she'd interviewed me about access and 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 it was a, about a, a bit of a research project that the british council um funded so the disordinary architecture project was the other chief collaborator with the bartlett and they bring in um blind vision impaired disabled people of different um uh um types into the um into into higher education or into other other mainstream institutes museums those sorts of things but it gets them to help teach um or help um address things um in the mainstream and so having that direct um involvement has been meant that they, they were in, involved they were also quite uh integral to getting the architecture beyond site to course going um and I, yeah i was engaged to help teach the designer designer maker module and so this this is all done in the university college of london um in um in a very sort of condensed week-long bridging course and there's conversations about it being um, extended to a longer longer variation and it's about positively affecting architecture for every, everyone not just the vision impaired the other local teaching has been through um, a collaboration with visibility in tasmania um and that was like a, a course uh uh which was uh, very much like a skills-based course in, in in terms of box making make, making that went over five or six weeks i think it was like quite important to have um like vision impaired vision impaired or a blind 
um, teach, teaching people that personal because it's it, like being myself um, because it's really about showing people that it's it's not it's not this abstract concept it's actually it's actually something that's quite possible and people can learn from from um, like can can work through that experience of of having having a blind uh, or vision impaired practitioner involved and 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 see see their learn from from their their experiences I suppose. As your business has grown, you've been able to employ some people to work with you uh, and or work for you. I guess the first part of the question is, what sort of tasks do you ask those people to undertake, particularly as a result of your vision impairment? But also, as a vision impaired person, what do you think are some of the the challenges and how have you overcome them uh, of of running uh, additional staff? So in terms of the tasks, uh, it's a range of different things. So it's interesting. It took a while for me to get my head around the fact I don't have to be on the tools all the time. It's a process of working out, okay, what is it that I enjoy? Why am I doing this? But also, okay, what is the most effective use of everyone's time? Um, but saying that I still do love to spend a bit of time on the tools, especially developing new new work. But I do have people come in and help with things like wiring, um very visual things like cutting to a line or, or um um uh process processes that in, that are just going to be more convoluted to work out jigs than to just go okay i've got this design um here's the here's the template can you can you help um can you make this but it's very much all the processes have been developed through my own experiences of making but then there are other things like getting people to help with um, dealing with inaccessible document documents or inaccessible um, websites, like um, ordering things online is always quite interesting. When you're ordering a couple of hundred of things, it's always it's probably when it when it's something quite visual, like for example, making sure that it's the, definitely the right plug that you're getting, because um, type C, type B, type E, what have you, doesn't mean that much. And sometimes people use the wrong terminology on their website, so it's good to have an extra pair of eyes sometimes when it's a particularly big order to just go, is this the right thing? If you don't have direct access to the people on the other end, I do try and actually, where possible, just call people up and be like, I want to order this. And that's where it's helped quite a bit. But the other really big thing that I get assistance with is um, having somebody help with uh, SketchUp or um, computer-aided drawing of different variations um, because it means that it's it's creating something that people can understand for c- custom commission work because usually people need need that um, and that that really helps to be able to have something solid that people can then go okay I understand what I'm signing off on here's the deposit there have been miscommunications between myself and and the person um, doing the computer aided um, drawing like drafting and being the, the assistant in that in that respect and <sighs> I won't lie. It's, sometimes it is, it's, it, it does create issues where you're communicating audibly about something that is quite visual, uh, especially if you don't have the precise model like absolutely down pat from the perspective of the of you know down to the millimeter or what have you. Um, but it's it does really it does really help to have people help um, help in those in those cases. Um, and in terms of other challenges, I suppose, yeah, some of it is also just you train people up and then sometimes it's just a process of finding people that mesh within the right context of, of both being able to work within within the context of um, uh, three-dimensional um, uh, craft 
it's very much finding the right skill set and um i i, I reckon it, it is very a very narrow group that you really have you've got to really find the right gel for 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 the right in the right context because it is it is a fairly diverse group of skills that are involved one thing i'm really looking forward to is, is the conversation about um vr world but also um some way of vision impaired people being able to input data into the computer aided drawing programs in an accessible manner so some people draw like i, I know some vision impaired and blind people draw through code so they type out code and then they have to pinpoint within the grid of what's on fr in front of them in terms of the program or where where things go i tried that um it was quite difficult um and so that's where i quite regularly relied more heavily on the visualization using um, model models um, and you know with the clay clay wire paper ply all those sorts of things and that's a conversation I sort of started with some other um, colleagues about well you know at the moment you've got these headsets for VR by virtual reality where you can build houses so the architecture world are create they're creating house designs and houses that then can be dealt with through VR. Um, a virtual reality and they can people can then lay the bricks for example on top of the virtual reality stuff so they've been controlled con controlled or uh, the, the information can be communicated with via the virtual reality and I don't understand why that couldn't then be could that then be worked out of some sort of haptic feel glove where the glove then can constrict in different ways when you're putting things onto different parts of the um of the of of, of the perceived reality yeah i think that's a discussion that uh, many of us across the uh, the industry have had for for quite a long time about the benefits that uh, vr would have for people who are blind or vision impaired what are some of the thoughts you have around people who are blind or vision impaired starting their own businesses um, in terms of people starting their own business, um, I suppose enter into it and ex expect to like everyone fall over. Um, you know that it's it's not it's it, it is a process of sometimes you're out there on your on your own and you're just working things out as you go a bit. And like the first first couple of years in particular, are extremely challenging from from all businesses, let alone if you've got blindness of you know, vision impairment and you're operating in a, in a, in a very sighted world. And, and, and then on top of that, sometimes you have to grow a bit of a thick skin to understand that sometimes people are making comments out of ignorance or naivety. I don't know which word to use in that context, but um, the, you know, that sometimes those comments are just, you just kind of take, take things with a grain of salt. Um, and like, I suppose, yeah, and enter into a business understanding that, you know, maybe you, you want to become a florist or maybe you want to make something or maybe you want to be an accessibility consultant, but do it with the understanding that you're not going to be doing that 100% of the time. So I spend a lot of time communicating with clients. I spend a lot of time um, looking at um, business development, um, you know, a range of different things um, and just understand that running small business is not just the, the core concept that you're originally wanting to do it from but understand that there are other things associated with it and, and also be willing to ask for help um, because it's it's um it's it is a world where you know it, it um it's it's tricky to navigate for anyone um and uh you know we understand that that's 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 the case for everyone not necessarily just because you've got a vision impairment or blindness but to understand that 
you know, sometimes you need to know when when to ask people, okay, how do I do this? Or have you got an idea how I can adapt this situation so that I can do it independently? Where to from here for you? Your business has changed a lot over the last 12 years. What do you see uh, over the next five years for you? Currently sort of trying to continue with some larger commissions that are um, both interstate and international ones that I'm trying to sort of solidify them. So then from that, I need to work out ways to build up systems that it's my business is not necessarily as reactive to these big orders, but can then just have forecast um, works. But developing new commercial work for me has been important. And I've, I've, I've in the process of developing big two meter long um, tree trunk light sculptures um, and I've had to develop a new tool in, in conjunction with some engineers um, um, and and um, and my brother-in-law who has a, a wood mill and we've been working out ways to create this big this big um, big machine um, and so that's kind of core to, to where I'd like to see my business go and and, and develop large, some larger work and sort of um, solidify my my smaller scale work as well but really sort of um, yeah, work work out ways to make the business a bit less reactive, and 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 then have have systems in place to try and um, to sort of keep on sort of um, going on and uh, have have um yeah have have um have things set up and um yeah that things like setting up this new tooling has been is, is part of that process as well as well as making the bigger versions of, of the trunk light um it's also going to be hopefully quite important to be creating um systems to improve the manufacturing techniques of, of things like the stump and cracked log lights you've clearly demonstrated a commitment to uh the belief that uh, blind and vision impaired people can follow in your footsteps and can run their own businesses doing woodwork and design and architectural design is teaching important to you is that something you'll continue well it's, it's interesting you ask that because i've just realized as you're asking that question that that was something i missed and really want to keep on doing i do really enjoy um teaching it's thrown some interesting challenges up and it really made me like I already respected teachers a lot beforehand, but it really solidified that respect that teaching is quite a challenging thing. Um, and um, I think for yeah, the teaching for vision impairment and blind woodworking and, and design, I think is really important. Um, and yeah, it's something I definitely would like, like to do more of. Duncan, once again, thanks for being a part of this program. And it's been great to learn more about your business and best of luck for the future. Uh, thanks. Thanks very much, Vaughan. Thanks for having me. And if you'd like to know more about Duncan and his business, you can look at DuncanMeerding.com. That's Duncan, D-U-C-A-N, Meerding, M-E-E-R-D-I-N-G.com. If you'd like to know more about the Entrepreneurial Mindset webinar series, the Eye to the Future project, or Blind Citizens Australia generally, look at bca.org.au. That's www.bca.org.au. I'm Vaughan Benison. I'll talk to you again soon. You have been listening to An Eye for Business, exploring the entrepreneurial mindset of people who are blind or vision impaired. This is a series of programmes brought to you in partnership between Blind Citizens Australia and Vision Australia. Join us again next week.